1: Uh, welcome to our uh, live stream on Facebook here uh, in
0: our studios. I see someone, Serge uh, Riots, calling in from London town. That's where I live for 25 years. My blessings to you all. Uh, it looks like you guys are in for a real ride coming into 2020 with the election that happened uh, last week. Uh, good old Boris Johnson, what a character! Uh, I'm not sure uh, that everybody has appreciated the fact that he has been—he's uh, been elected, but he certainly came in with an enormous agenda, and that is to get out of Europe. Uh, so. Any of you who are there in Britain, go and join Hatun Tosh. If you're there in London, please go down on a Sunday afternoon. Go on down to Speaker's Corner. They are always there about three, three thirty. When you get there, help her out. Help Daniel out. Help Godwin out. The three of them. They're on the ladder. You can't miss them. Get into their get into their groups. You don't even have to do the arguments for them. Just give them your support. Tell mm-hmm. them that God's with them and and uh, yell out, "God be praised!" and Keep the courage up, old Huttoon, and do so because they're there week after week. I know what it's like. I was there for 25 years, week after week doing it. They are now the team that I've left behind. And what a job they are doing. So God bless you, Saturday. Make sure you get down to the speaker's corner and join and help out DCCI. For the rest of you, do come on to our channels. Good, Come on to YouTube please come on to Cita International, Fander Films, and DCCI International. But don't just come and watch the videos. What we would like you to do is actually comment at the bottom. Uh, that's something that would really help us out. We, ca- we can do the work as far as the research. We will do the work as far as communicating it. We will do the work as far as getting it on video. And we will do the work as far as explaining it uh, to the rest of you. What we need you to do is to the- engage with the Muslims who are in the comments. Because that is uh, an evangelistic f- f- act as well. When you uh, do that, what you're doing is you are armchair evangelists. You're sitting in the comfort of your own home or in the comfort of your own office Maybe in your bedrooms, but you're actually engaging with the person that is uh, uh, reflecting, and many of them are are very uh, are very strong, aggressive challenges look and see which are the best challenges and then answer for them. You can be doing all of us a favor. You'll be doing God a favor because the Lord Jesus Christ was able to answer his challenges. We need that help as well. And we can't be on there. We don't have enough time to be on there answering all those comments. So those comments can get into the thousands. Look and see what the best conversations are, and help those people and bring them to the Lord. That really is what we're all about, isn't it? Absolutely. Everything we do, We certainly we want to confront the Qur'an. But when we confront the Qur'an, have you noticed, we always introduce the Bible when we ever take down this book, we always give the antidote. Whenever we confront the man behind this book, Muhammad, or uh, when we look and see that this was revealed, when we confront Muhammad, we always introduce Jesus Christ. I refuse to do any takedown unless I'm going to do some give up and give in and to take up and to take in and to also introduce that which is the only alternative. Whenever we confront Allah, the God behind this book, we then introduce Yahweh. Really, those are the three areas that we spend most of our time on wouldn't you say, Al-Fari?
1: That's right, absolutely. The book, the man and the God. Absolutely, I'm seeing a lot of familiar faces and some friends in here, so welcome to all of you, by the way. Thank you so much for coming in, and I hope you find our material to be extremely helpful. Let me give you a taste of what we have done this week. Uh, We talked about uh, the material uh, that Dan Gibson basically introduced, which we used back in April of 2018. That has to do basically with the uh, history of Islam, Mecca, and Qibla as well, which is the, as you can see, the direction of prayer right here. Uh, what we did this time is we looked at some of the objections that were raised, for instance, in particular about the Qibla, and we addressed all of those. Uh, one of those such objections actually came from in the academic field by uh, Dr. David king. And we really uh, did, uh, you know, a fair job in taking the arguments from both sides and uh, basically offering a uh, an analysis of it, uh, a critique when necessary, and also an accolade uh, if it was appropriate as well. Nevertheless, this is the kind of stuff that we like to do. We talked about Petra. Now, uh, one of you here is from Saudi. And, uh, you know, whenever you mentioned the word Mecca, and uh, basically the rituals that are done during the hajj. uh, You know, a number of things come to your mind. One of it is the Kaaba. One of it is the black stone. One of it is something called the Sa'i, which basically run in between the Safa and the Marwa. And there is also another uh, action that is re- uh, basically required where people go to three pillars of stone, and they stone supposedly Satan, and to commemorate the work that uh, basically Abraham did with when he was going to sacrifice his son, and so on and so forth. All that to say, you'll be surprised when we release the new series on this, To know that actually all of these locations and even terminologies are found, guess where? Around Petra. So more and more evidence are beginning to solidify the theory about Petra being the birthplace of Islam. I know that all of what we're doing so far is sharing what's out there. We're open for critique but I'm telling you, there is a lot more information now that is solici- solidifying those kind of findings. Go ahead.
0: Bally Van Lierop, you've got a good question there. Information about the Medina <clears throat> Charter. Let me just give you a quick five-minute or a two to f- five-minute response to that. The Medina of Charter, go up and Google the Medina Charter or the Medina uh, Agreement, whatever the one the name is, Google it and, and pull it down. There are 52 articles in that. These are the articles that supposedly when Muhammad moved to Medina from Mecca in 622, he then demanded that everybody sign, especially the Jews. Now, when you read it, look at the first article. The very first article says that Muhammad is an arbiter between man and God. As a Christian or as a Jew, would you sign an article like that? Would you ever allow Muhammad to be an arbiter between man and God? I'm looking over here, but I should be looking over here at the camera. Sorry, over here, uh, Valley. Would you, as a Christian or Jew, sign anywhere that, uh, that anybody should be an arbiter between man and God other than Jesus Christ? No, you would not. For that reason, the Banu Kainuku, the Banu Nadir, and the Banu Koraiza family did not sign that charter. How do I know? Read the rest of the articles, and about halfway down of the Medina charter, you will see the names of the signatories. Not one of those three names are there, which means the Medina charter had nothing to do with them. They didn't agree with it. They did not sign it. If they did not sign it, they're not held by it. So when the Muhammad came back. This I'm looking for the classical account from the Battle of Badr in 624. He confronted the first Jewish tribe, threw them out. The Banu Nadir, uh, Banu Kanuka family. In 625, he confronted the second family of Jews, which is the Banu and Nadir family, threw them out. And after the Battle of the Trenches in 627, he then took all the Banu Qurayza family and slit their throats. Now, I've heard Muslim after Muslim defend that by saying he had a right to do that because they reneged on the Medina charter. They had never signed that charter, so they had not reneged on anything. What's more, let me ask you this, if you're, any of you are watching, if there are any Muslims who are watching, was Muhammad a native of Medina or were those Jews natives of Medina? Well, you know the answer. The fact that those Jews have been there for hundreds of years, they already, they controlled the commerce in Medina. They were the natives. Where did Muhammad come from? He did not come from Medina. He came from Mecca. He had only been there five years. Therefore, he was a guest. How could a guest come into a city and demand that people sign a charter that gave him authority between man and God, which no Jew, no Christian would sign? Uh, The Ansar probably signed it, and they are the only ones that signed it. That's why their names are on that charter. But if that is the case, then I would like you to ask any Muslim, if you're going to use that as your model, which they have to do as Muhammad as their model, well, are you going to do the same thing today? Are you going to come to my town? Are you going to come to my city? Are you going to come to London? Are you going to be the mayor of London? Are you going to demand that everybody now de- uh, puts Muhammad as their arbiter? If And if they don't, well, then you cut their throats, slit their throats like Muhammad did when one afternoon with 800. So be careful about the Medina charter. Read it, for heaven's sakes. Look at it. He doesn't, just say it in the first article, also throughout the article, you, of the articles, you will see that Muhammad, again, claims to be the arbiter between man and God. I refuse to sign an article like, article like that. I refuse to follow Muhammad. Therefore, are Muslims going to do to me like they did to the Banu Qurayza family? They would have to if you're going to use the Medina Charter as your uh, as your model.
1: Yeah, and and Bali, thank you so much, by the way. Uh, this is an excellent question. Bally is on our team, by the way. He's a wonderful uh, person, and uh, here's uh, some good news for you, Bally. We will be, myself and, and Sam Shimon, doing a number of videos on Paul, according to the Islamic sources. I know you had a passion for this, so this is just to give you an update. Um, uh, Abel asked a very good question, and I think you and I uh, did address this with Dr. Brubaker, but I'll, I'll let you handle uh, at least the initial answer. Uh, he's saying, uh, <laughs> Dr. J., uh, are those corrections found by Dr. Brubaker done after or before the
0: 1924? Dr. Brubaker, we asked him this yesterday, <laughs> um, um, yesterday when we actually had him here uh, in the studio by, by, um, by video. And we asked him that very question because he kept on saying, if you look at his book all the way through, you will see over and over again, he every one of these uh, corrections, whether they are insertions or whether they are coverings or whether they are erasers, he kept on saying that what was left behind, after you erased it, after you inserted it, after you covered it, what was left behind now supports the Huff's text. That's this text right here. This is the Huff's text that, uh, that you see in Arabic. This is the Huff's text. Why do they call it Huff's? Because it was chosen by uh, Muhammad ibn al-Husayni al-Hadad. Who is this man? Muhammad. Ibn al-Husayni al-Huddad, he's just one man. One man in 1924 who is a scholar at uh, al-Azad University was chosen by the, the Department of Education for the city of Cairo. Uh, they needed to have standardized tests on the Quran, and all of their tests had different answers. There was about 39 different answers for every for every ayah. So they needed to have one standard text, and that's why they asked Muhammad ibn al-Husayni al-Huddad to come up with one text, and he chose this one, which is the Huffs text. Who is Huffs? Hufs is a man. He's actually a student who died in 796, living in Kufa, in Iraq. 796 is 144 years after who? After uh, Uthman. So this man did not live at the time of Uthman. This man had nothing to do with Muhammad. He didn't even live in, where Uthman lived. He lived in Iraq, hundreds of miles away and hundreds of years later. That's right.
1: That's but, right. Ibn Kathir lived in Mecca, and yet we don't have the Quran of Ibn Kathir, for instance, to be the popular one.
0: So what's fascinating, that was chosen in 1924. Now, it was not, only chose for one city. And that was the city of Cairo. It became, it was chosen then for the country of Egypt in 1930, uh, I think in 1939, and it was known as the Farouk edition because of King Farouk became, That's right. it 36 or 39, I can't remember exactly which year. It's, uh, may, it may be 36 it may be 39. I think it's 36. I, I think, think it's think. 36 and for the Farouk edition because he became king in uh, 1936. So for all of Egypt now, this became the official, the canonized text. It became then the international text for the whole world by King Fahd, King Fahd of Saudi Arabia in 1985. He chose it for the entire world, which means this text now has been universalized, the canonized in 1985. That's 34 years ago. 34 years ago, it became canonized. Now, coming back to your question, if now... Uh, Brubaker has gone all over the world and he's found all these corrections. He just didn't find 10 or 15 or 20. He found 4,000 and he's still counting them. There'll be many more yet to uh, find. I, I would imagine there will be another few thousand. If they are all correcting the text by either erasing or covering or inserting words, phrases, entire phrases, in fact, one page uh, there, the Hussaini text, it has eight different coverings in just one page. What was left behind now supports this text. Here's the question we need to ask. So when were these corrections done? You're asking a great question. Dan Brunberger did not want to answer. He was very careful not to answer. He will not do that on camera. I don't know if I can give the answer to that because I I don't see if there's so much wholesale censorship. This is wholesale censorship by men from on all of these manuscripts. How could how could we how could any muslim ever say that the Quran has ever changed but if it now supports just one text this man named Huffs who created this text before he died in 796 in 796, then, are you saying that was when the Quran was finalized, and this man, uh, uh, Ibrahim, uh, Muhammad ibn al al-Hudad, then decided to choose that text out of thirty others, eight others that he could have chosen? That's and right. you look at the comparison just between those thirty-nine different texts, and we've already, with only twenty-three of them, we've already found ninety-three thousand differences. Uh, then I would suggest that maybe these were these all these corrections had to have been done sometime after 796 sometime after the 8th century, is what I would say. That's what I'm saying here in December of 2019. You can quote me on that, but I may change by another year because we're just waiting for so many of the manuscripts to come through. We're getting them now. The manuscripts are starting to discover. And remember, when I started in this work 40 years ago, there was hundreds of thousands of manuscripts that were claimed by Muslims that came from the time of Uthman. Then it was reduced down to around 10,000. Then it was reduced down to around 1,000. And then by 2014, when I did my debate with Dr. Uh, uh, Shabir Ali. It was reduced to six. And it was the reason why is because these two uh, uh, Turkish scholars then claimed that these are the six, but they claimed none of these were from the time of Muhammad. Oh, not yeah, one it's of very them. very clear in their Not one of them. Yeah. So... I, I feel sorry for the Muslims. Be, be careful what you claim. Do not claim anymore that this book comes from either the time of Muhammad or even the 7th century. This is something we're going to be doing tonight, later on. We can't even claim that this book comes from the 7th century. To say nothing of the fact that it even comes from the 8th century, I'm waiting yet to find out when Dan Brubaker or any Muslim, uh, or any Muslim. well not a Muslim, I don't expect Muslims to do this kind of research. They don't do this kind of research. I would like to see what's coming out of the Corpus Quranicum, coming out of Germany. Uh, we now have the book that their latest material. They are trying to find out when the first complete Quran existed. When do we have the first manuscript of the cu- complete Quran? Really, the Huff's text. Uh, it, obviously, we can't say we have it at the time of seven ninety six. We don't even have Huff's text. It's only attributed to Huff's. Attributed right. means it's only supposed to have come from him. Listen, we, and this and, is and the-
1: here's why we say because there's five different traditions at least. And you said the other day seven different traditions of Huff's. So that's why we cannot really tell which one even came uh, through him to begin with. There's the Turkish one, there is the Persian one, there is the Indian tradition, you know, there is the Egyptian tradition, uh, the, the list can go on and on and on.
0: I mean, this is the biggest problem. I mean, when we, we we've been we've been referring to Al uh, buhari all the time, and we're always saying that we're quoting him all the time. But even Al-Buhari, we don't have any manuscript of his. Uh, there's nine there's nine volumes. The first volume that actually exists is not till the 11th century, and all nine volumes don't exist until the 1600s. That's the 17th century. So you know there there is such a mess when it comes to manuscript evidence for Muslims. Muslims do not know how to preserve their manuscript. They do not know how to preserve. And that's why you don't find any study of manuscript evidence. You don't have any textual kiss, uh, criticism in Islam at all. It does not exist amongst Muslims. All the textual analysis of the Quran is being done by Europeans, but none by Americans, being done by secular and humanists and Christian scholars. None of it I, that I'm aware of is being done by Muslims. And I have to be careful. There might be one or two. But if they are, they're not publishing what they know.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, we're going to basically close, but uh, Akash, Haider, uh, you're saying, you know, did... Dan Brubaker, uh, did he find the verse about the change of Qibla, like I think you're talking about chapter 2, verses 149 and 150? Well, Dr. Brubaker is not focused on finding verses. He focuses only on manuscript that has correction uh, and correction evidence in him, erasure, insertion. So if this is one of the verses that he came across, I'm pretty sure he will make it known. And we can certainly ask him if if, uh, it you know, for any reason, he did come across this particular verse and notice any kind of correction that was done to it. I'm not aware of any uh, so far uh, in relationship to his work, but maybe others uh, did.
0: You know, what we are, and for Akash Haider, what we are looking at is the Shahada. That's the thing that's much more important than the Qibla as far as versification. What we do know now is that all the earliest manuscripts only have the first part of the Shahada, which is the La ilah uh, not the first, the second half just that god is only god is one and that is only found in the earliest manuscripts the other part of the shahada that the muhammadur rasulullah that muhammad is the prophet of god that does not come for another century now that is yet to go out. We have not put that on film yet. That, So you're the first to hear about it. I have to be careful uh, because this has we, we have to source with it. We will source it when we put this on video. Because of this is Facebook, I don't have the time or the energy at the moment to go look and find out what the source is for that. That's going to be hugely significant because we're seeing the same thing on the coins. Uh, the coins and the manuscripts are showing us that there's an evolution in the Shahada. There's an evolution in the Bismillah. These are hugely significant because this is is the statement of faith for all Muslims. This is what every Muslim believed that Muhammad said. We can't find any reference to the God, there's only one God, but God in Muhammad is his prophet from the century that he lived, at all, at all. That is introduced at a later date. Ooh, man, wow. can you see the significance of that if you want to unpack that theologically? Yeah.
1: Uh, Akash, uh, this is the second time you asked a question about the 1975 uh, supposedly uh, fatwa concerning stopping the Hajj to Petra. Why don't you go and ask Dan Gibson himself? We are we're unable uh, basically to say anything without having evidence of it, you know. So we'll be reaching out to him, but you can go to his YouTube channel and ask him that question. Any other questions? Uh, uh, you know, I don't know if the team did notice anything uh, out there uh, for us and that fact, we have missed. In
0: Akash, why don't you, don't, you don't even have to go and ask him that question. He does refer to that. Why don't you go on the Hajj in Petra, look at that video. I haven't had a chance to look at it. Why don't you read it yourself, watch the video yourself, he gives you the answer to that. And at the end of it, he does say, if you have any questions, write to me at this email. Just write him. The nice thing about the, uh, those of us who are doing this work from a Western European, Christian. Standpoint. We don't sit there and hide the facts. We don't sit there and run away from these kind of questions. We like to answer your questions. So feel free to do that, Akash. Just go and go right to the source itself.
1: Absolutely. And like I said, I mean, we do not like really to say anything without having evidence with it. This is why we have these kind of things with us all the time. Uh, I have this, you know. Uh, we have the the, the work of uh, Dr. King. We have the books of Dan Gibson. So we don't like to talk just out of uh, void. We like to have evidence to support what we're sharing about, and uh, we certainly we will look into that. I'm not saying we're not going to look into this uh, fatwa. And I'm sure if Dan Gibson mentioned it, that means he has a source to back up this
0: claim. And that will be interesting, actually, uh, if we Let can me just say it's not yeah. that important. Uh, all that the, he's saying is that the the government of Jordan realized that an awful lot of people in the 20th century were still doing Hajj to Petra. Uh, that that look, there are people there when I was in Senegal in West Africa, they were doing Hajj to the Morid capital of uh, I forget the name of the town in the middle of Senegal in West Africa. This happens all over the world. There are many different groups that do Hajj's. That's all that he's trying to say. He's not trying to say that that original hut has been continuing for fourteen hundred years in Petra. No, this is a new type of Hajj that has been introduced, and the go- the government of Jordan is trying to shut it down. I don't think you can go any further than that. There's nothing. It really is not part of this discussion because sure. what we're not interested we're not interested in is not so much what happened in the 20th century. We're interested in what happened in the 6th and 7th century, up until the 8th century. And that's also what Gibson's interested in. Notice in almost all of his responses to King is that King was only interested in what happened in 9th, 10th, and 11th century, redacted back to the 7th and 8th century. And Gibson kept on saying, please, would you stop using that material? It's too late. It's not really significant for the first two centuries of Islam. And I would say the same thing to you, Akash. Don't worry about what happened in 1975. Worry what happened. In 675, or in 875, or in 575, that's a lot more important.
1: Absolutely. Well, folks, um, we're coming to a close. We have really more work to do. Believe it or not, it's it's already late here, but we are going to continue to do our work because we care for you and we want you to have this kind of information. And we'll be releasing our videos as always. Uh, we used to do it once uh, per week, but because we have a large backlog, we're going to start releasing videos. Uh, in two different topics, I should say, from two different topics and two different tracks twice per week, and you'll be notified about that. Be sure to go and subscribe to my YouTube channel, sierrainternational.com. Uh, I'm sorry, Sierra International in YouTube. And uh, w- make sure you click on the bill uh, to begin to receive uh, also notifications as these videos come out. We uh, pray uh, and ask that uh, you could consider also uh, to become a Patreon patron. Click on the link in there and take it from there. And do the same thing with my dear brother for his YouTube channel, Fonder Films. And in there also you can subscribe and begin to receive notifications and consider to become a Patreon patron for his own work. Thank you so much and God bless you.